0: Do you think uh, Ponyboy and Anne would have gotten along?
1: <laughs> I bet is they both. Well, they both enjoy sunsets.
0: They do like sunsets, but he is not into the drama. I don't know. He has a bit of the lots of chronic
1: drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there would be lots of I don't. I don't ever do this, and then him doing stuff. <laughs> apparently, he never does. everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we're talking about Anne Shirley from the TV miniseries Anne of Green Gables. Are you ready for this, Todd? Uh, yes, I am. My son has been in the hospital uh, for the last three days, and I was with him. Um, and I am going on almost no sleep, and I think I'm getting sick with what he got he was sick with. <laughs> but I'm just gonna, I'm just going to muscle through this.
0: And on top of that, would you like to share with our listeners how you had to uh, view <laughs> Anne Green Gables?
1: So I was so confident that our library had a DVD copy of this. Um, and they they do, the local library does, but it's checked out. And so uh, I went to the university and they have a VHS, co- a VHS copy of this. This was about four hours before we were going to record.
0: And it's about a four hour... Mini series. It's a
1: three-and-a-half-hour miniseries, so, <laughs> so my God. I got the VHS, and then I found an empty classroom where I could play it and figured out how the VHS machines work. Uh, VCRs, again. Todd.
0: VCR. <laughs> the VCR. Oh, fun fact. Uh, they, a company recently built the VCR. last VCR. Yeah. Wow. There so will be I,
1: no more built forever. So I put it in, and... I think nobody has probably watched this tape of Anne of Green Gables since 1985 when it came out. <laughs> uh, it was in terrible shape, but I I made it through. And well, I mean, it brought back. Lots of people probably watched it. It brought back tons of beautiful memories yeah. of did my childhood you, watching Anne of Green Gables. Did you adjust the tracking? That's I tried, I did, yeah, but it didn't make any difference. When the when the tapes like once the celluloids cellul the de- celluloid is degraded, then there's not really yeah. much you can do. About I bet it.
0: there was a lot of good color bleeding happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it was not the Blu-ray experience, but um but I'm ready to talk about this show.
0: All right. Well, as we've said, we're gonna be talking about Anne, played by Megan Follows from a nineteen eighty-five Canadian T V miniseries. This episode, by the way, is brought to you by listener Rachel. So thank you, Rachel, for supporting us and also for choosing such a great story. And I, I, was, this...
1: well, I, oh. I was just going to say I was so happy when Rachel requested this. Uh, this is one of my mom's favorite movies, and I've watched it lots of times when I was a kid. And I, I just I know this is going to bring lots of joy to many of our listeners who I'm sure also enjoy this. I have now watched this exactly one time in my life. <laughs> it was in preparation for this.
0: Never read the novels, never uh, watched the movie. Though I did put out a call on Facebook to see if anyone had any uh, insights they wanted to share with us before we recorded. And from the many comments I received, it seems I was in the minority. These yeah, <laughs> were as children who never experienced Anne of Green Gable.
1: You were absolutely in the minority. And I would what include my, uh,
0: my younger sister seemed appalled with me that I had never watched Anne of Green Gables because she said that was my life.
1: <laughs> so, That's so good. I, just from the moment that you meet her, she's the best.
0: <laughs> just based on some of these things, it, it seems almost like some people enjoyed Anne of Green Gables the way I enjoyed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action films. Watching them repeatedly. Yes. <laughs> they, they were just on repeat. <laughs> that was my life. Couldn't get enough of it. Do you have a favorite? Secret of the Ooze. It's Secret of the Ooze, right? No, it's the first one. No, how dare you? It's the first okay. one. The first we, the one. Table this for now. We're talking about Green Greenable. And Shirley is our topic for today. And we can't go down knee. the teenage mutant, minute, teenage mutant Ninja Turtle rabbit hole. Uh, we, would just, hole I guess, but.
1: we should just also remind listeners that uh, our podcast today is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Over 180,000 titles await you to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or if you're going old school, your MP3 player.
0: Some trivia that I found, and this is one of those instances where I started to look into trivia on Anne of Green Gables, and I could tell this was a beloved product because I could not stop finding trivia <laughs> about this production <laughs> in particular of Anne of Green Gables. It seems like a lot of people love this one, and uh, like Mental Floss had a list of like 25 behind the scenes facts you never knew about Anne of Green Gables, so I'm, I'm going to try and Keep it focused, though. So this is an adaptation from a 1908 novel by Lucy Maud Montgomery. The novel is a classic, and it has sold more than 50 million copies, which is a lot. And Montgomery also wrote seven more novels in the Anne of Green Gable series. Now, this particular adaptation from 1985, it had a sequel miniseries, Anne of Avonlea, that was released in 1987 with most of the cast returning. And then in 2000, Anne of Green Gables, the continuing story was produced, still with a lot of the main cast returning. But that one had less positive reaction from fans because it didn't adapt any stories from Montgomery's novels. They just kind of did their own thing, even though there were some stories in the novels that would have been set in the time period they were moving up to to keep up with the actors' ages. From the same producers as this series, um, there was also a TV series called *Road to Avonlea* that ran from 1990 to 96. That was set on Prince Edward Island. It didn't ever feature Anne, but it featured many of the other characters that we meet in *Anne of Green Gables*. And it seemed like, from what I read, that it was mostly prequels, but some were maybe concurrent with *Anne of Green Gables*, and it was just other stories that were happening, and some may have even been ahead. <laughs> I wasn't one hundred percent clear on uh, the time period when that one was was taking place.
1: One of these is the story of Anne and Gilbert and World War One. Did you?
0: I think that one is the uh, the Anne, the continuing story, the one that was done in two thousand. Anne of Green
1: Gables, the continuing story,
0: I think. But I I'm welcome to have
1: someone correct me on that. Okay, I remember I have visions of that, but I know it's not the one, the one that we're talking about today.
0: Um, so yeah, that's, uh, most of the, the trivia that I, I pulled out. Um, there's a lot, maybe I'll sprinkle in some of the other things I came across, but if you want to look up Anne of Green Gables trivia, just start Googling (laughs) Anne of Green Gables, Gables, 1990 or 1985 trivia, and there'll be a wealth of links made available to you.
1: Okay. Um, so quick synopsis of this, Anne of Green Gables, uh, Anne is a, she's a young girl. When the story starts, she's 12. Uh, she's an orphan. Uh, She's been just kind of passed around from family to family and orphanage to orphanage um, and never been really treated very well. She's super imaginative. She loves to read, and she is sent to live with uh, a couple of... It's a brother and a sister, so she's a, an, an older woman and an older man that are brother and sister, uh, who have requested a boy from the orphanage that can help the, the brother work on the farm. And when they show up, they realize that it's a girl, and um, and so this is the story of Anne and her relationship, mostly with uh, with the sister, uh, her her whose name is Marilla, and the brother whose name is Matthew, and, uh, and and a friend that Anne makes her name is Diana, and they just uh, it's mo- <laughs> it's mostly just about how Anne is so different from everyone around her, <laughs> and but she makes their lives great. So if that sounds interesting to you, you can, uh, uh, you can check out Anne of Green Gables on Amazon. Um, and don't forget to take uh, advantage of all the great deals on Amazon by uh, making purchases through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. We'll have a link to the DVD copy of Anne of Green Gables on Amazon in our show notes.
0: All right. Uh, before I get into the long summary, like I'm going to be talking about a lot of the action but to understand Anne, you need to know that she's very dramatic. She has a, a lot of flair about her, uh, very romantic. And so, I'm going to read a few of the most dramatic lines <laughs> that she utters in the miniseries. I'm going to try and do it, do these lines justice, and then I will give the summary so that as you're imagining these events, imagine a person who would say these sorts of things at the center of these events.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's not so much about what she does, but the way that she the way that she yes. does it and the things that she says are just. Spectacular. All right. So she says things like
0: my life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. (laughs) This is the most tragical thing that has ever happened to me. (laughs) Can't you even imagine you're in the depths of despair? (laughs) Laura Spencer is giving a comic recitation, but I prefer to make people cry. (laughs) It would be such a romantic experience nearly to drown. That was actually a bit of foreshadowing. She says that very early on. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, Farewell, my beloved friend. Henceforth we must be strangers living side by side, but my heart will be faithful to thee.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so But nobody else around her acts it's like this, this or talks yeah. like this. No. These are all like salt of the earth kind of this small town Running farm. through life. Yeah, yeah like farm people and uh think like a little house on the prairie sort of people.
0: Yeah. um, So this film, it's more a series of vignettes that tell a larger story rather than like intertwining plot lines that, you know, intersect and separate and we see what's going on. Um, So we're going to get summaries of all of these different vignettes that happen. Anne Shirley is a 12 year old redhead and she's walking with a full basket, but mostly she's enjoying reading Alfred Lloyd or Lord Tennyson's the lady of Shalott." We see that she is supposed to have been hurrying to help a family with three sets of twins. The cruel mother throws Anne's book into the fire to punish her. When the husband dies from a heart attack shortly thereafter, Anne is sent back to an orphanage, but then is very quickly adopted by an elderly brother and sister who live on Prince Edward Island. Matthew and his sister Marilla are expecting a boy to help them with the farm chores, but seeing a girl there, Matthew sees no option but to bring Anne home. On the carriage ride to their farm, named Green Gables, Anne, who is highly dramatic and romantic, renames places with plain names to have more fanciful ones and talks without stopping while Matthew mostly smiles and listens. Which is what Matthew does a lot.
1: (laughs) I love Matthew.
0: He is great. Uh, Quick question. Yeah. Is he like, is he bearing it or is he actually enjoying this? He loves it. Yeah. He's got a, I, I think the smile is pretty genuine.
1: Yeah, he loves it, and she she kind of reaches his her arm through his and kind of snuggles up next to him, and he 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 his heart is totally melted from almost the second that he meets her. I think.
0: Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Oh, through my one
1: viewing. So, Andrew, you've never seen this.
0: Uh, Joseph showed me a couple clips as he was working on the summary, but the, the best moments. That's about it. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll mention the the best moments that I did show him. As I said, I was busy with the Ninja Turtles (laughs) on on their own farm in the first movie, as you might recall. Yeah, yeah. And Splinter uh, appears to them in a fire. It's awesome. All right. uh... (laughs) Uh, Where was I? Where where were were you? (laughs) Where is Anne here? All right. Marilla considers taking Anne back because they wanted a boy before she finally decides to allow Anne to stay. Side note, there's a great scene between Marilla and Matthew when it's decided that Anne can stay, (laughs) where Matthew is, uh, he's caring for a, uh, like a baby cow, right? A calf? Yes. And Marilla, like, has this long conversation about the pros and cons and then finally says, well, she'll stay. And then Matthew, like, smiles at her. And then Marilla says something about Anne always make a chatterbox. And at least someone will say something to her. And then Marilla leaves and Matthew still doesn't say a word. (laughs) (laughs) I liked Marilla and and
1: Matthew so much. I do, too. And I I would just, I don't think that, the especially the character, the guy that plays Matthew, I don't think he's, like, the greatest actor in the world. But there's something about the, I don't know.
0: There's some scenes where he gets a lot going on in his face. I think there's really good face acting in a lot of this from yeah, many of the, of the actors.
1: Some of the lines felt like a little bit flat to me, especially, I don't know, towards the beginning, but man, he's so like lovable Well, <laughs> and uh, is he's great. Quick
0: aside, uh, when I was looking at trivia, the uh, a Canadian company made another version of this that the article I read said it was going to be released in early 2016. I have not heard anything about it, but... The man who played Matthew in that version was President Bartlett. Martin what? Sheen playing Matthew. Yeah. Really? And it, I, Again, it said it was going to be released in 2016. Uh, maybe for Canadian television. It wasn't clear from the article I saw. But I could see Martin Sheen playing uh, Matthew very well. Alright, so Anne, whose tongue gets the best of her fairly regularly, insults a woman who has come to visit. In Anne's defense, the woman was horribly critical of Anne first, which caused Anne to boil over. Marilla gives Anne a lesson in manners and tells her that she must go to apologize, but Anne refuses. Without Marilla seeing, because Marilla has asserted control over the raising of Anne, Matthew goes up to have a talk with Anne. He tells Anne that she doesn't really have to be honestly sorry, just sort of (laughs) sorry. kind of smooth things over Anne realizes Matthew's logic and promises not to tell Marilla that they've had a talk. Uh, when Anne comes downstairs and says that she's going to go to apologize, Marilla knowingly says that leaving Anne alone to think about things has brought her around. And then Anne goes and gives an extremely dramatic apology (laughs) to the woman that she insulted (laughs) on her hands, on
1: her knees, literally.
0: Yes. Uh, later, Marilla notices that her brooch is missing, and Anne says that she took it off to look at it, but she put it right back into the jewelry box. Anne insists that she never lost it, but Marilla tells her to stop lying. And that she's banished to her room until she will tell the truth that she lost it. Later, Anne gives a very detailed confession. But then Matthew sees the brooch was on Marilla's shawl the whole time. And Marilla goes to ask Anne why she confessed to a lie. And Anne says that Marilla would not believe the truth. And they agree to forgive each other. At a Sunday school picnic, Anne meets Diana. And they immediately become bosom friends. This is a phrase that Anne really likes to use. (laughs) She wants a bosom friend in her life. And Diana is it. At school, Mr. Phillips is hard on Anne, but way, way, way too inappropriately soft on Prissy Andrews. Way <laughs> inappropriately <laughs> soft on Prissy. Uh, when a student named Gilbert calls Anne carrots because of her reddish orange hair, she breaks her, her blackboard slate over his head. <laughs> and ashamed of her red hair, Anne tries to dye it with something she bought. She bought from a peddler, but it turns her hair green instead of the beautiful raven black that had been promised. Marilla helps her to cut her hair short. There are several several short sequences where Gilbert keeps gazing at Anne from a distance and she keeps being annoyed by him. Mr. Phillips announces that Anne and Gilbert have tied for having best marks at school. This is a theme. It happens a lot to them. <laughs> uh, um, but Mr. Phillips also says he is going to be reassigned. It seems the trustees, in absolutely the right move, are forcing him to leave because he is sweet on one of his students. And I cannot <laughs> say clearly enough how good a decision that was by the trustees. They needed to get him out of there. On a bad... Anne tries to walk across a roof, like on the on the high point of a roof, but she falls and sprains an ankle. Gilbert offers to help her home, but her pride won't allow it, and she insists on walking herself with Diana's help. Uh, on the way home, though, Diana uh, with Diana she falls and falls into a covered well and sprains her other ankle. So Diana's dad has to come and carry her home.
1: I love Diana's reaction when she fa- <laughs> <laughs> when Anne falls down the well. Diana just screams and screams and screams and screams and screams. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It is my second favorite screaming moment of the film. Uh, later on, Diana comes over for tea with Anne. This is going to be Anne and Diana. like Anne's hosting, and she's very excited about this. Marilla had told Anne that she could serve raspberry cordial at tea time, but instead she accidentally gives Diana currant wine, of which Diana drinks many glasses, and she gets thoroughly sloshed. She staggers home drunk as a sailor, <laughs> and Diana's mom, who turns out is really big on temperance, <laughs> forbids Diana and Anne from seeing or speaking with one another or being friends leads to some very dramatic monologues. man! Um, the
1: scene when, when Diana gets drunk, it was my favorite scene when I was a kid, <laughs> we, we used to rewind it and watch it over and over again. When she goes and throws up in the bushes, we would just rewind, <laughs> and, rewind <laughs> and rewind Diana throwing up in the bushes.
0: <laughs> it, it was the kid on the bicycle in, uh, while you were sleeping. Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. Same idea. It's like, absolutely. Yeah, I need to see that moment again. Alright, the new teacher at school is Miss Stacy. Anne gets into trouble for reading during geometry. Anne apologizes that Miss Stacy teaches her that you can always start tomorrow fresh. Anne discovers a dead mouse in a pudding that she made, but forgot to cover her up overnight, and so she disposes of the mouse body, but she hasn't gotten rid of the pudding yet. <laughs> She can't decide how she's going to tell Marilla this. Uh, Miss Stacy stops by for, uh, to say that she hopes Anne will take exams and be able to go so that she can go into college. She says Anne's sore enough that she needs to do this. And uh, is very excited by this news. She can tell she's very proud of Anne. And she invites Miss Stacy to stay for dinner. And at the end of dinner, Miss Stacy is about to take a bite of this pudding. Like, it's been served. It's on the plate. The fork is lifting to Miss Stacy's mouth. And as the fork is, like, passing the lips, and screams out, no, don't take the bite. (laughs) And then in here she explains about the mouse. And at first people are upset, but then Anne is so hard on herself that they all end up kind of laughing about the situation. In winter, Marilla and many other members of town are going on a trip to a political rally uh, at At night, Diana bursts into Anne's house, saying that her younger sister, Diana's younger sister, has the croup and is struggling to breathe. And immediately, this is one of my favorite moments, like, no, I mean, it's Matthew, so he hardly ever says anything, but no words or anything. Matthew is up and out the door, and Anne says, we're such kindred spirits, I know his mind. He's getting the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but he is just instantly like no follow up questions. He is on the way to get the doctor, and Anne grabs medicine because she knows how to, um how to treat the uh, the croup because the uh, the family that we saw at the very beginning of the miniseries that had all the twins, uh, Anne says that they often had the croup and it was always Anne's job to take care of them. So she grabs some medicine. She gets into the house and gives instructions to get uh, the fire roaring and water boiling on it to, to get steam going in the room. And eventually, much later, the doctor arrives and he says that Anne saved the little girl's life. That it would have been too late if she hadn't done those things. Pretty interesting question. That's not how we treat croup these days. Right? Actually, uh, you do get often... Yeah. Uh, you get a steamy room. You get the kids in, like you turn the shower on as hot as possible. Get the kids into the steamy room, and then you take them to a cooler room, and you go back and forth between hot steam and cool. Ah, pool. okay. So it's the back and forth.
1: Well, well either either one they, can be really helpful.
0: Yeah. Uh, though, um, I did see a study that said there's no evidence that it helps, but there's certainly nothing that hurts, and it does seem to provide temporary relief often. To go, huh.
1: you can also bundle them up and put them in the car and roll the windows down and go for a cold drive. I've had multiple nights with the croupy child. How about you, Todd? Yes. Uh, We should say we are not medical professionals. Yeah. Yeah. If your child has croup, consult your physician.
0: But uh, if your physician's like mine, they may say, get them into a steamy bathroom and then into a cool room. Or even outside in winter, briefly. Yep. All right. Uh, Though... So the doctor says that Anne has saved this girl's life. And this men's Diana's mother's opinion of Anne and Anne and Diana are now have permission to be friends again.
1: <laughs> I love that.
0: <laughs> and Anne is invited to a Christmas ball with Diana's family Anne dreams of having a dress with puffy sleeves, the puffiest sleeves possible. Um, but Marilla seems to think that that is excessive and not necessary and then we get a, a scene, and this is the scene that I showed Andrew. Uh, at the town store in the dead of winter, Matthew uh, goes in awkwardly and looks around, and he asks for a garden rake. <laughs> and the helper's like, "Um, we don't keep garden rakes around in winter, but let me go check the back. Uh, and then she gets him that, and then he's like, mm, do you have uh, 20 pounds of sugar, up brown sugar? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, this worker had to be on commission, because she very happily hands over 20 pounds of brown sugar. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, it, doesn't it question why, it just says, yeah, here it is. Give me the money. Uh, and then finally he's able to admit that, look, I'm, I'm actually looking for a dress with puffy sleeves.
1: <laughs> and he's so uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, and he gets that dress with puffy sleeves for Anne and. And shows up in the kitchen where Marilla is sifting brown sugar and shows off the dress. There's a huge
1: sack <laughs> of it a on the table. sack
0: of brown sugar. And when Anne goes out to go find Matthew and say thank you, Marilla gives a, a wonderful bit of acting where she just looks up at the sky and says, 20 pounds of brown sugar. <laughs> at the Christmas wall... Anne accepts a dare to see if Gilbert will dance with her. Uh, and I love this because it's one of those, like, we all know you really want to, but you're not willing to. And you have to pretend you don't want to. So I'm going to dare you to <laughs> go talk to Gilbert. But Gilbert completely ignores her, <laughs> though he does steal her dance card. Uh, later that night, while running to bed, Anne and Diana uh, startle Diana's aunt Josephine. So this is at Diana's house. Uh, and... They're going to the guest bedroom and there's someone in the bed and it scares them. And it scares the person in the bed who is Diana's aunt, Josephine, who has come a day early and they thought Anne was supposed to have the guest room. Josephine is furious and Diana is heartbroken because aunt Josephine is rich and had been planning to pay for Diana's music lessons. The next day, Anne goes and gives another great apology to Josephine, who is quite taken with Anne and invites Anne and Diana to come and visit her whenever. And she forgives Diana for waking her up in the middle of the night and scaring her. After preparing for college entrance exams, Anne has to travel to another city to take them. She and Diana go and visit Aunt Josephine who lives in that in, in a mansion in that city. It is a mansion. This is a very nice house. Yes. Anne, and Gilbert, uh, Anne and Gilbert have had a continual rivalry in school during this whole time. And though they always tie for top of the class, they take the exam and then Anne and Gilbert keep looking at each other. Anne and her friends recreate one of Anne's favorite poems. This is the the other scene that I showed, and Andrew. this is
1: this is my other favorite part of the movie.
0: Yeah, this is great. Uh, the poem is "The Lady of Shalott," the one that she was reading at the start. Uh, they set Anne adrift in a rowboat, and Anne pretends to be dead. The rowboat slowly fills with water as it drifts downstream, and Anne realizing all of a sudden that she's wet, <laughs> she panics. Uh, <laughs> she grabs onto the support of a bridge, and she's clinging to this in the middle of the river. She's holding on to the support <laughs> beam that's going down from a bridge. Her friends have run along the shore of the river and are so excited to see how poetically beautiful Anne looks. And then they see an empty sinking rowboat and they scream (laughs) that Anne is drowning. This is my favorite screaming moment. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, the blonde actress in this scene really commits to screaming and (laughs) and worrying that they're murderers (laughs) because they've killed Anne. Um, Gilbert comes along in a rowboat and I love Anne's acting in the scene as she is wet and clinging to this bridge, but she tries to have as much dignity as possible as she sees Gilbert arriving in a rowboat. Gilbert rescues Anne. She claims it was unnecessary, but thanks him. He says he's sorry about <laughs> things. Uh, but then Anne finds out that she and Gilbert tied for the top of the class uh, for their college exams. So uh, later on, Anne and Gilbert have a pleasant ride and discuss their plans to go to college. Again, I think Gilbert says he's sorry at this moment. He says he's uh,
1: sorry a lot of times.
0: <laughs> he sure does. And Anne really doesn't give an inch. <laughs> She's, well, I guess uh, th- th- this is a moment where maybe she softens a little bit because they're having this ride. He's apologizing. Um, and Anne is going to be performing a monologue at this recital for the town where people are going to be showing off their talents. And Gilbert asks if he can accompany her to this. And she says, yes. So this is like the softest moment for Anne <laughs> and Gilbert. Um, But then she decides to renege on her agreement <laughs> and says, nope, never mind. I'm I'm not going to go. But she doesn't tell Gilbert. To his face, she sends a note with her friend, Diana, to go tell Gilbert, I'm canceling. But she goes in a dress with even puffier sleeves than the one that we saw before. These are the puffiest sleeves imaginable. And (laughs) she performs a wonderful reading at the recital. And Gilbert is there, and he, he claps loudly for her and calls for an encore, and she sees this. And after she's done, she wants to go find Gilbert, but he has left immediately, and she can't find him. Anne goes off to college and tries to find Gilbert there because they're both studying at the same college, but she sees him studying with another girl and runs away. And um, once again, at college, Anne and Gilbert are at the top of their class. Tied. Uh, yes. Tied and get carried around on the other students' sol- uh, shoulders. We should do that more. Yes. Carrying around good students on shoulders and cheering them. Uh, back at home for the break, Diana tells Anne that Gilbert is actually stopping his schooling at the college. is going to stay and teach at the Avonlea School because his family needs extra support at home. Uh, Matthew and Anne are walking through a field when Matthew has a heart attack and dies. They hold his funeral and back at Green Gables, Anne and Marilla have a beautiful, honest conversation about how much Matthew meant to them. And this is one of my favorite scenes. And when I was looking up Trivia, I found out that that scene was not in the original script. The actress who plays Marilla said, we need to have some conversation about Matthew. That's awesome. Like, like we don't have enough of a close. Uh, and they wrote the scene and they said they filmed it in like 40 minutes, but everyone was in tears.
1: <laughs> it's awesome. It's such a good, it's so great.
0: It is a really great scene. Um, a man stops by and says that if Marilla plans to sell the farm, she should do it before it starts to get run down now that Matthew's gone. And the man says, I'll make you an offer at a fair price. But Anne tells Marilla not to sell. She'll stop going to college and she'll go teach at a nearby town. She'll keep her studies up uh, from a distance, but she'll come and help Marilla out at Green Gables every weekend. And then... Final scene, Anne is striding across the fields when Gilbert comes riding upon a horse. Nicely framed hero shot that allows Gilbert to be in a position of strength, but he's not dominating Anne because he's to her right in the way we read the screen. It's just, like, if you said Mizan mise en scene, this is a really <laughs> great shot. Uh, Gilbert reveals that he's had their contract switched so that Anne can stay at Green Gables with Marilla, and Gilbert will board at at the other town and be a little farther away but this way Anne can continue to help Marilla out and be the school teacher and keep her studies up and, and Gilber- be close Nui. to Gilbert and be close to Gilbert and seen the end.
1: Ah, oh, Nice job. Thank you. So what was your overall impression of this having it this being your first time?
0: I loved it. I don't know. Why did why did I miss this thing? How did I miss this thing? It was great. Um, Good story I thought good acting across the board, and I really thought there's some, like I said, some good facial acting where you can see the layers of what's going on, especially for Marilla. I think she may be the best at that, but the actress they had for Anne does a really good job. And I also like, I, I thought Matthew, uh, particularly in the scene in the store, did a really good job of conveying all sorts of things through his face.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that um, I love Megan Follows as Anne in this, and also Marilla. She's, who is that? Colleen Dewhurst. She's amazing. (laughs) There are images from this film that have stayed with me for a really, really long time. But I just Marilla is so um, she's so like strict and stern, uh, and I think that could easily come off as mean and heartless. And I think that she just doesn't. She doesn't ever come across that way. She's easy to. Re- I mean, she quickly recognizes when she, um, w- with the situation with the brooch, uh, and she, when she realizes that she was in the wrong, she immediately, like, no hesitation. She just walks up in Nan's room and says, "I will forgive you if you will forgive me." <laughs> and it takes a lot of humility, for, even from this um, proud, you know, s- strong, uh, strong-willed woman. To just recognize that she made a mistake, go up, forgive, and kind of move on. And I just, I I love, love, love Marilla.
0: Yeah, a couple comments that we had on Facebook. So we put out some calls on uh, the Protagonist Podcast Facebook page saying this is something we're going to be recording soon. And we had a lot of response. And several people specifically mentioned both Matthew and Marilla. So listener Gina said um, that... Thinking about Marilla, that when she was younger, she thought Marilla was so mean. But now that she's older, she, her view about her has changed a lot. And uh all-star guest Kirsta said about Marilla that she can seem so cold and prickly, but she loves Anne in her own way. And you absolutely see that. Like, I don't think there's any doubt that Marilla loves Anne, even if it's different than how Matthew... I mean, neither of them are, like, really showing affection a lot, Matthew nor Marilla but the, the love is clearly there. Um, and Listener Tessa said, Matthew is the best human being on the planet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he really is. He's he... The thing that I love about Matthew is um, that he has this skill that I wish that I had, but I don't. In that he conserves his words so well, so that when he uses them, they work, you know? <laughs> Like he just doesn't have to say very much to to say what needs to be said.
0: Yes, but Todd, as your co-host on this podcast, I am very glad that you're more verbose than Matthew. Than Matthew.
1: <laughs> it really would kind of be a struggle.
0: Yeah. Um. But I, was, when you were saying what you loved about Matthew, I was thinking about what I liked about Matthew, and the first thing that came to my head, um, you know, that I was thinking of was he chooses his battles so wisely. Yeah. Um. Like, if it's not worth getting up in arms about, he doesn't. But even he's if, not. Even he's, if he doesn't agree, he's like, I'm letting this one go. But when it, the time is right, he engages.
1: And it's not conniving or manipulative in any way. He just understands the people around him so well that he, he can kind of let things go when it's time to let them go. And he can give like a gentle push here and there. And it's just, yeah, it's the way that he deals with Anne, the way that he lets Marilla kind of work through... Because he, as we said initially, he his heart is completely melted when he meets Anne, and they have that long buggy ride back to Green Gables, and she's talking about all, all how happy she is and that her dreams have come true, and she's never had a dream come true in her whole entire life, and now one has, and it's the way that he looks at her. You can tell that he's so happy to have her there, and there's no way that he's taking her back to the station, and a different man would walk into the house and say marilla she's staying and that's final you know (laughs) and marilla would not respond to that at well (laughs) um and and he just he doesn't say (laughs) he really does not say anything he lets marilla work through this he trusts her he knows her well enough that you know he'll trust her to Work through this, and in the end, that that conversation when he's like milking that little cat, or what's he doing? Feeding the calf. He's feeding the calf, I think. He's feeding the calf, and Marilla walks in. And she she just walks herself all the way through the argument, and then she says, "Okay, she's staying," and and Matthew's just quiet and listening, and he literally doesn't say a word the entire scene. No, right? not a word. That's huh. awesome. So let's talk uh, about Anne. Okay.
0: So, when I was thinking about Anne and how to describe her, and I I made some jokes about how dramatic she is, and we read some of those lines, but I think it's also really key to understand her that this isn't a show. She's earnest in... In her dramaticness, I guess Uh, there's an earnestness about her that underlies everything. Cause if someone was that dramatic and they were doing it to get attention or, you know, for a show or whatever it may be, it'd be so frustrating (laughs) so quickly. And it'd be so tiring to watch someone perform those things. But, um, there's this core of, I guess, innocence, but also like purity to the drama that Anne is feeling like she is expressing what she's really experiencing and how she's really seeing the world and it's not just for show or attention. It's
1: sincerity. Like, she's so sincere in her devotion to her romantic view of the world. <laughs> um, and it contrasts so well with Marilla especially, but all the people in the town. I was As I was thinking about this, It well, there's obviously something really quixotic about her in this reading and how the things that she reads color the way that she sees the world. Um, It's interesting. We don't see other people reading very often uh, in this. I mean, and the very first thing we see from her is her walking through and and reading Tennyson and uh, with this romantic music playing in the forest. But I can't remember very many scenes of other people reading anything. But when we do, it's Matthew sitting at the kitchen table reading the almanac. I
0: was about to say, no, we see Matthew reading the farmer's almanac,
1: but you're Yeah, <laughs> but like that's the difference between Anne and everybody else around her is that she's reading Tennyson, and uh, and they're reading the almanac. All right, and, so and this it is the way they
0: see the world. This is feeding into some comments that we had on Facebook, so I'm gonna read these. Go for it. Um listener Rachel, who is the one who sponsored this episode, she said that her sister had a friend who wrote a paper on Anna oh, Green she Gables. Uh,
1: Her sister's friend.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, about how Anne is a romantic in a world of realists, which is where a lot of the conflict in the story comes from. And then uh Rachel's Sister Sarah, then makes an appearance at our Facebook feed. So this is not the one who wrote the paper, but the one who had the friend who wrote the paper. So we're one degree of separation closer to the actual paper. And she says, the thing I, I loved about my friend's romantic slash realist idea was that it's that tension that's at the heart of Anne of Green Gables. I think people who don't know the story well think that its appeal comes from its cuteness or its rom communist or its saccharinity. But I think it's enduringly popular because of the much more gratifying subtext of Anne's philosophical clash with her community and how in the end she gets what she really wants anyway on their terms and maybe on hers. I think we could safely make... Uh, like I, I, you can make a multi-minute YouTube like uh, supercut of people being told to stop reading or get their heads out of the clouds, <laughs> like the the romantic protagonists of stories, uh, and their realist antagonists or other people around them, even if it's not an antagonist, but like slapping books out of their hands or pulling books out from behind what they're supposed to really be doing, or just just yelling at them to get their heads out of the clouds. Question. Like it's sort of a theory, but also a question. Is that disproportionately represented in fiction because the people who create fiction live that life and its wish fulfillment? Yeah. <laughs> so so they're just saying it's like, well, I'm gonna get back at everyone who told me to stop reading by making a character who reads and then the awesome. Yeah. Is <laughs> awesome it, in every way, like Anne or like Belle. Or... So so what they're doing is, you know, like it's misrepresentative as, you know, a character feature. What do you mean by misrepresentative? Like, there's not that many people who are that way Well, in I the hope world. there are, because we're doing a podcast for those people. <laughs> 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 but, but also, not that many people who are that way achieve this much success. You well, know, like, I mean... Like, it doesn't all turn out right. Like, legitimately, society can't operate if everyone lives that life. If everyone's a dreamer. But, like, I mean, like there's also the capitalistic aspect that the author is writing for that person. And they, they're hoping that person sees themselves as the protagonist, <laughs> right? The right. author is not writing for the realist who doesn't believe in reading books. And, but like all of a sudden I'm, I'm recognizing a, a flaw in, or, or, you know, a, an aspect of the world that I, like I'm having a paradigm shift right now <laughs> where, where I'm, <laughs> where I'm realizing <laughs> that like writers write, you know, a, a specific set of character typically. And I enjoy that character because, you know, I, I enjoy culture. I, I committed to studying it and, and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And you guys have as well. And then I look at it and I say, like, wait, there's not nearly enough fiction that praises the banker. I don't know that we can say there's not enough that praises any one group because it may be what we're consuming but, or, but I feel like there's. You know, a, a greater deal of praise for the dreamer. No, well, this, okay, this swings back and forth. So like, it, like in the 1800s, you get the romantic movement. Absolutely. It's all about the dreamer. It's all about, uh, those who want to live life larger than life can possibly be lived. But then in reaction to that, we get the realists. So if you're reading from the realists, you're not getting <laughs> the dreamers being praised. You're getting what's daily life like for the banker? Like, so we, ha- we have these shifts and movements in literature as well. And, and in that case, does, is the banker the hero? Yeah. So the realists are 100% about, like, the romantics went too far. Like, like, <laughs> but are they, like, demonstrating, like, it is noble to live a basic life where you go to, yeah. where you go to work? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it swings back and forth enough to, to balance out. So, so there have been times when the stark reality has been celebrated. Oh, yeah. For. Yeah. Uh, particularly in America, like, um, I just have trouble thinking of early 1900s up through World War One. I just have trouble thinking of the precise examples, and that might be just because of a um, a personal taste towards romanticism, like like *Age of Innocence*. Okay, yeah, you know it's it's that's a you know Henry James realism, right? Okay, Henry James would be a realist. Mm -hmm. Oh wait, hold on, hold on, guys, back up. What? I think I said I said Henry James *Age of Innocence* is the thwart him. What's Henry James's? Uh, uh, Daisy. Oh, what is that one called? Oh, Uh, Andrew, much like our, (laughs) (laughs) I. But I know that one because because yeah. Oh, what is it? Is it called Daisy? Something, something Daisy. Miss Daisy. Oh my goodness okay so when Simon, I Henry James novella it's the yeah. one that's in, when I, when in the... I, well they, it may it his romantic one to turn of the screw but when I was looking this <laughs> up uh the, I will in my defense say like the one of the first lines that I see is often compared to the style of Henry James so I'm not okay. off in that but so here uh let's just say so for an example of like a realist you could do something like Edith Wharton's Age of Innocence or Henry James did a lot of realist stuff um the one with Daisy yeah um I can't remember the name of that, but those are, it's a reaction against romanticism and it becomes a celebration of the everyday and try to realistically portray what like the life of a New Yorker is and not be concerned with grand adventures, with romantic idealism or any of those things. Okay. So, okay. I'm trying, you know, like I'm trying to place this in mm-hmm. you know, the literature courses I took and I'm wondering if, you know, maybe we dedicated more time to romanticism or maybe I just personally latched onto it and it's... Tough for me to, for me to think of the examples, but I am becoming more satisfied with it. I still feel like it edges towards, like, you know, the, the collection of characters that are most discussed is going to edge towards the more romantic. Yeah. I, I, well, I think because they're often larger than life and like this podcast, we do great characters, great stories, and often it's those that stand out more. And for me personally, I'm, I think there's, quality of writing that we found in the realist but i prefer the romantics like poe versus the realist like henry james
1: yeah and i i think that emotionally i think romantic stories speak to me more i do i have two thoughts about this i feel like we've talked about this for a while now yeah but... i'm
0: worried we've lost uh ann <laughs>
1: that's all right I'm one well this is the conflict of
0: Anne of green gables it's romanticism well, versus the realism
1: <laughs> and this so in some stories you have a romantic character and the job of the book is in in large measure to show how and why that character needs to grow up and get their head out of that and at least achieve some kind of balance, if not to completely leave that chi- the childish nature of their dreams behind. Like, that's what Quixote's about. In the end, his dreams kill him. And, like, spoiler warning for a f- 400-year-old book, but in the end, he dies. and So do we all,
0: so we all Well,
1: Well, people want, people want the Quixote to be the um, the man of La Mancha at the end when he sings to Dream the Impossible Dream. And then, uh, and then they say, come on, get up. And then he, he does that last thing where he says, yes, I am Don Quixote, and let's go out and have adventures. And then he dies like Pieta in, um, in uh, Dulcinea's arms. But that's not how the book ends. In the book, they're all so sad that he's dying and they want to relive, they want to revive the dreams in him so that he won't die of a broken heart. And they say, come out, let's go have more adventures. And he says, no, I was crazy. My name is Alonso Quijano El Bueno and like, I'm ready to die now. And then he just dies. (laughs) And it's not a celebration of the romantic ideal in any way, except that the romantics in in the 1800s they latch onto the fact that he is this larger than life character and they totally appropriate the character and the story to turn it into something that it is absolutely not which is a celebration of of romantic dreaming and ideals and as i look at anne of green gables i wonder is that is this that kind of a story like is is her romanticism and her imagination is it causing problems for her in a way when she's younger that it doesn't when she's older? And, and is, the, is the change because she's less imaginative now, that she's become more realistic? Because in that way, then it would be a celebration not of the imagination, but a celebration of realism, right? Or at least a balance.
0: Yeah. Um, well, just positioning this as the novel is what, 1908? Eight. Because romanticism in America, at least, kind of ended its heyday in, you know, post-Civil War. <laughs> we we kind of yeah. have a wake-up call and say, you know, this grand adventure of the nation has turned pretty ugly. <laughs> we get a slap <laughs> of reality. And then we see realism uh, taking over with naturalism kind of as a subset up through World War One. So this is – it's interesting to have this novel. I, again, this is a Canadian novel, and I don't know how much those trends – uh, you know, we're in a one to one ratio with what was happening in America at all. But well, you kind of having uh, a classic... Canada
1: is, Canada is America.
0: Just so. <laughs> Thank you. <know>. you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, the, uh, so it's being published with this romantic hero that's running up against realism, uh, when, you know, realism is kind of, has had a long run at that point. So it's kind of interesting to position it there. And I think we see, Obviously, Anne like gives joy to these other characters who are of the realist mindset, and you know they 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 don't change themselves, but their lives are better for having her, uh-huh. and all her flights of fancy within there. And I think, I mean, you're saying that is she does she lose these flights of fancy? Does she lose that imagination? Oh, and to become more realist? But I'm, I'm like I'm thinking the opening like it's, we we don't see a whole lot of her with his other family, but it was an unhappy place. She was escaping into the novel. at clearly esca- escaping, but she was doing right. a lot of hard work. It's not like she was living a fairy tale. Um, oh, like she was well, staying would... up with the kids who all had croup. Like she knew how to do croup <laughs> because she had stayed up with all sets of twins who had croup multiple times. It seemed. Um, and she was the one running the errands and, you know, she immediately shows up and she's expected to, to start doing all these other chores. So it's not that she doesn't know about, you know, the, the hard reality. She, she does not seem to have her heads in the head in the clouds the way other characters romantic characters sometimes are yeah i don't know are are we, are we addressing it's... your issue Todd at all
1: <laughs> well it's just interesting to me uh, like i wonder if we're do if we're doing the same thing to Anna Green Gables that people did with the Quixote all of those years ago in that maybe this maybe this story is not i'm just thinking out loud here. Maybe the story is not the celebration of the romantic imagination or at least the wholesale celebration of the romantic imagination as it is because it celebrates Marilla and Matthew just as much as it does Anne. And they both need each other. And so it's not a rejection of the practical in any way. Uh, It does say something about how imagination in, in the right quantities in uh, in the right context, can make a practical, bleak, practical life more livable. Which is, I think, why Marilla loves Anne so much and Matthew. But it's not a rejection of practicality and the reality of life. It's it's something, it's something different. So it's not straight up romanticism but it's also not straight up realism. It's something, it's something more balanced. And I wonder if that's why it's been able to endure through the craziness of the 20th century, uh, because depending on where you stand on this, you may, you can, you can pick and choose what you, what you want to celebrate from the story. All right. So as another
0: topic, I think it's pretty closely related. Listener Jesse had put this on our Facebook page, She says, Anne is definitely an agent in her own life. I only wish I had her imagination to fall into when things got rough. The movie hints at her rocky and troubled upbringing. So the question stands, is her tendency to get lost in her fantasies a result of her difficult childhood as a means of escape? Or do you think that some people are just born with a creative mind like that? Nature versus nurture. Well, anti-nurture in in this case.
1: So the question is, would Anne have had that? That amazing imagination. If she hadn't had the really hard upbringing that she had, that, that yeah. kind of forced like, her does, to does, find an escape. As does
0: the heartbreak, hard upbringing lead to her being more romantic, I guess, or more imaginative. Or I think
1: the I think the hard upbringing brings out or gives her an opportunity to bring out what were already, what's already a romantic tendency in her. Yeah. I mean, Cause tons of people grow up in hard lives, and they don't turn into Anna Green Gables. All of the other characters in <laughs> Anne of Green Gables,
0: for example, right? For example, well, <laughs> uh, I was gonna say it may feel like a cop out, but the answer is yeah, both. I think um, similar to like, is this a celebration of romanticism, or is this about uh, the need for balance, or is this about the the qualities of of real you know these realistic folks and the the way that they're able to live their lives? Yeah, it's all those things. It it, it, it can do all of that, and I think the qu- answer to this question is she had clearly an interest in, in narrative and story that wasn't shared by everyone around her. Um, and also clearly she escaped into that more because of her rough upbringing. right? Yeah. And as part of that escape, this was something that was interesting to me. Like, uh, it only comes up a few times. Like she has this imaginary friend when she's a full adolescent, like, you know, right. Heading into for this age, like only a few years away from adulthood. Cause by the time they're 16, they're off at college. Um, and she still has an imaginary friend and that friend leaves when she's at green Gables. Cause she doesn't need, need right. the imaginary friend as much anymore. Cause I, I think that says something about the way that her flights of fancy are an escape. She doesn't need the escape as much at green Gables as she needed it in the orphanages and in the other homes where she was at. She says she first saw it. Uh, her, what was the name of her imaginary friend? Do you remember Todd? Katie? Katie? I think it was Katie. I can't remember the last name. She even gave her a last name, but she said she first saw her. In the reflection of a window that was the only bro- window in the whole house that hadn't been broken during a, a you know drunken rage by by the dr- by the drunk dad yeah. by the drunk dad, which it's a, like no attention is really paid to that line, but I think it says so much <laughs> about yeah. about how romanticism is being used by Anne to survive. Yeah, I mean that is just such a dark image that again it gets passed over pretty quickly in the film, but it's it's haunting. You know, to think about that, that there's only one window left that has been broken by an abusive alcoholic, essentially, and that's where she finds a friend, and it's her own reflection.
1: Yeah, so so you're touching on something that I think is really interesting, and it's how does Anne change over the course of the story? How is she different when she's... The, the Anne that chooses to stay at Green Gables and work... um on the farm with Marilla and teach at the school. How is she different from the Anne that we see at the very beginning, uh, that's walking through the forest, uh, reading Tennyson? What are, like, what are the fundamental changes in her that we see over the course of the story?
0: Well, the most explicitly I think of right now, because of what we just said is that she loses her imaginary friend, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, uh, she gains her, her real life bosom friend, uh-huh. uh, Diana. She is, I mean, we said she doesn't really make Marilla or Matthew more romantic, but her friends that help her with the Lady of Shalott reenactment, she's definitely making them more romantic than they're comfortable with (laughs) and and more uh, imaginative than they've ever would have been without Anne there in their lives. Uh So she is still, you know, more so on that end of the spectrum than anyone else and is pulling some people towards her that way. But would the Anne who's gone off to college still do that reenactment? I don't know.
1: I think it's well. She's pretty old when she does it. That's towards the end of the film. That's
0: true. That it, yeah, it's right before she goes to college, isn't it? Yeah. So I, she's fifteen or sixteen, I guess. Because yeah, and she also she finds out the scores on her exams for entering college.
1: She is really good at school. I mean, she really is good at math and um and and re uh, not reading, but like uh, science and things like you. You can see her. She's not rejecting, like, traditional education in any way. Um, in fact, she embraces it. And there there is... I don't know. What am I trying to say here? I don't know. Well, we within, within the
0: romanticism, there's not a rejection of the sciences or anything like that. Like, sometimes we, we create this tension of uh, a creative individual versus the scientific individual.
1: And she's not doing that. But the division between science and the humanities came out during the 19th century in universities in Europe is when people started when they created the dichotomy that still is like pretty strong pretty strong in in conversations like I think universally they those came out during the during the uh, 1800s 19th century it's when people started people started separating those things and saying we you have humanities on one side science on the other side and they're fundamentally opposed to each other Which I don't agree with, but... Yeah, I'm not not a fan of that mindset either. I'm just... Like, she seems more mature. She seems less inclined to shirk uh, responsibility for her... Like, in in very early stages of the story, is she... Like, she gets herself in trouble because she has a really bad temper. And she... You know, smashes her chalkboard on Gilbert's head, and she and she, she can't control she her yells tongue. At, she yells at Rachel. Um, is she more in control of herself later? I would say yes. Well, given the fact that she's willing to go back and look for Gilbert and forgive, uh, you know, ask for his forgiveness, and you know, like that relationship would never work. And and Marilla, who we think is so different from Anne. Uh, it turns out that she had been in love with Gilbert's father and that they had had a quarrel and she had not been willing to forg- uh, for, to ask for forgiveness or you know make peace with him. And she lost that opportunity and that's why she's uh, an old single lady. she never married. And and I, I think we see the change in Anne um, that she is willing to go and find Gilbert and ask for his forgiveness and make peace with him. I think that's different than the Anne that we see at the very beginning.
0: Well, than the Anne that we've seen most of the way. <laughs> that yeah. That uh, her relationship with Gilbert is largely standoffish.
1: Right. So there's a, that's a change, I think. It's like a, There's a softening in her uh, that happens, in, and maybe in large part because she's finally in an environment that's not constantly threatening to her.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, an environment that she feels is a home in a way that, like at the start of the film, she has a home, but it's not. Home, <laughs> right? It's a house. It's a, it's a house. Uh, and I, I, I'm wondering about this contrast of those two scenes where we open it up with her, uh, you know, reading to avoid being at the house. And, um, she's shirking work to kind of fulfill her own, in this instance, kind of romantic interests of reading. And at the end, we have her giving up her college education and, you know, going off to the big city to stay closer and she's going to do work at both of those. I mean, she's, she's shouldering a lot of work that she's going to help on the farm. She's going to be a school teacher and she's going to do a correspondence course to keep up on her college. And I think there's, that's a good contrast. Those two points.
1: Yeah. I like it. I mean, I like, I like the progression in her. I, I also, I kind of like the fact that it's not super overt. Yeah. She just, she just quietly, uh, changes over the course of the story in part because she she doesn't want to leave Matthew and, and Marilla she's she's found a place where she she like desperately wants to be and that's what forces her when you know when she when she says all those mean things to Rachel and Marilla says if you don't apologize you're out of here and and she realizes i need to change if i want if i want to stay with these people and, and she changes and,
0: and I think that's, uh, that she wants to engage with those people. She wants to have that relationship. I, she says somewhere that she, I've never belonged with anyone before. something along those lines at one point uh-huh. in the film. Um, and she doesn't belong with the family that she's at, at the beginning. And she doesn't belong with the, um, when they're. Uh, Marilla is threatening to take her back to the orphanage. They run into another lady in the town who says, well, I could use a girl. (laughs) and She like lists the duties that she expects uh, that Anne would perform at her house. And like, Anne would not belong in that house either.
1: And you can tell that one, one of the other things that I love about that is when, so Marilla and Anne are kind of in town and they meet this lady. And you can tell just instantly that there's history between Marilla and the lady that that they want to send Anne with, and they don't like each other <laughs> and and like there doesn't have to be a a bunch of dialogue about it. You can just tell like in in a in a look and and a word, and I think it says again gives credit to the actress that they don't like each other and and at that point, Marilla's like. There's no way I'm saying <laughs> hand hand that what did she say? I wouldn't I wouldn't send a dog that I like to be with that woman. <laughs> yes yeah um it's it's awesome real
0: quick a few things i want to hit on before we uh wrap up some other comments we had on the facebook that i think go along nicely with this uh listener nick said that he's seen the show a million times because his sisters watched it all the time <laughs> it has great dialogue that he'll still quote to his day. sisters sure yeah, yeah. Yeah. come
1: on nick own it man
0: but he also says the relationships in that show are what make it an incredible story and i think that's something we're hitting on right here and listener megan yes. says a very similar thing she said the relationships of the characters make the story what it is so much emotion in every single one and i think we could just certainly spend a chunk of time and talking about Anne and Matthew, Anne and Marilla, Marilla and Matthew, Anne and Gilbert, you know, and and uh, Diana and, and Anne, and, and talk about all the ways that each one of those relationships is fully formed uh, in this story. And none of them are just like stock side characters or stereotypical relationships that we see there.
1: I've been thinking a lot about um, about the idea of beauty and what makes something beautiful. And the Greeks said that that what makes something beautiful, there were um, one of the elements is proportion, and the other one is uh, like balance and harmony. And I think that there's great one of the things that makes this story beautiful is the the balance and and the way that harmony is created between all of these characters. And they have different uh, strengths and weaknesses, and they're all they're all great individuals like one character doesn't bleed into the other. You don't get confused about who's Diana. Oh wait, which one is Diana and which one is Marilla and which one's Rachel? Like they're all so unique and individual and they play, like you said, they all interact with each other in such interesting ways. It's all so balanced. Um, I think it's one of the things that makes the story great.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I was reading a screenwriter and he said, uh, you need to know who each character is. And once you know that, the story will come from putting those characters on the page together. Sure. That the, you know, if you, if you have a story in mind and you start moving characters around like chessboard, you know, pieces on a chessboard to get them where they want, it doesn't ring true. <laughs> but if you know the characters inside and out, that they're fully fleshed out human beings and you imagine what the conversation would be like, and you know, each of those characters so well, you're going to have a character, you're going to have a conversation that's going to lead to some action. And that's where the story needs to progress
1: from, not reverse engineering to tell the story that you want to tell. And I love, I love, and I think we've, we've probably said this before tonight, but I love the way that this is not about how Anne has to go in and fix everything that's broken. And it's also not a way, it's not only a story about how Anne goes to this place and gets fixed because of all of these great people there. Uh, But it's, it's both of those stories, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's her helping them and they're helping her and she's helping Diana and Diana's helping her. They're all, everybody, I mean, there's something beautiful in in the way that everyone is elevated by these relationships. It's, it's really, it's a beautiful story.
0: All right. A few final thoughts from our listeners who posted some things on Facebook. My goodness. Listener Tessa said I was Anne growing up. I was more shy, but just as precocious, sometimes obnoxiously. So just as hopelessly romantic, just as much a misfit, despite having been surrounded by just as many people who love me. I think a lot of people who have read the books or watched the movies felt that there's something about Anne that makes us see ourselves in her. Um, and I think part of that is that Anne has, enough facets to her that even if you don't align in every way, uh, you're going to see something of yourself in Anne.
1: Cause that's an interesting thought. Cause I don't like, as I, as I think about Anne, I don't know that I've ever identified my, I, I identified with her.
0: That's funny. Like, Cause I, I definitely oh. saw, <laughs> uh, I was identifying aspects of her, you know, in the adolescent phase she's in. And I was thinking back to my own adolescence and I, I definitely made some connections.
1: Yeah. I've just i've I've honestly never thought about that, but as I look at it, I don't I don't see. I mean, obviously, like I like to read when I was a kid, and I was a little bit different, but I don't see a lot of myself in her. But I st- I do really still love her.
0: Oh, Todd! I remember our conversations after cross country runs when you would call me your bosom friend and ask for a lock of my hair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I have to say, when she says. <laughs> I had totally forgotten this, but when she says, "May I have a lock of your raven black tresses," and Diana says, "I don't have any black dresses,"
0: <laughs> and then Anthea says, "Your hair." Your hair. But she keeps it like it's still the same hyper romantic. Your hair.
1: Oh man, it's so good. It reminded me of um, in uh, Firefly when he says, "Are you a lion?" And he says, "My a lion." <laughs>
0: Never thought of myself as a lion, but I do have a mighty
1: roar. You have a mighty roar. <laughs> I love that. I had totally forgotten about that, but like what a what an awesome piece of writing to just slip that in there. In this very dramatic scene where their friendship is being torn apart. Oh, and they're hugging and they're weeping and and they're they're kissing each other and and this is the end of their thing, but they're going to make this solemn promise that they will still be friends. <laughs> And she says, "Please, I, will you give me a, a lock of your, of your black tresses? I don't have any black tresses."
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, just final uh, rundown. Of favorite moments. So several of our listeners had posted their favorite moments, and we've talked about a lot of these in, de- in depth. Listener Kim mentioned that she loves the Lady of Shalott scene, and it is a great sequence. <laughs> uh, listener uh, Ethan asked that we could at least touch on how many times Gil says sorry, Anne. <laughs> Sorry, Anne, and says it so endearingly that Anne can't help uh, but fall. You know, feel some affection for him after all. I feel those like stories.
1: I feel like some of the actors like really lay on the Canadian accent, and Gilbert's one of them.
0: Well, he, he, the, most of them are Canadian. talks.
1: I know, but what I'm saying is, <laughs> some of them sound more like generic English. Mm. But some of them, you know, they'll say they'll say something that's like sounds very Canadian to me. Okay. Um, Gilbert, I don't know. Gilbert just seems, seems to do that more often. Uh, listener, Rachel
0: says that, uh, she and her husband love the, uh, and dyeing her hair green <laughs> instead of black <laughs> because Gilbert called her hair carrots <laughs> or <laughs> called her carrots. Yes. Uh, listener, can also mentioned the lady of Shalott sequence, and, uh, listener Brandon, who you should go listen to the fandom podcast because he runs his own great podcast. Uh, and Brandon says, after all these years, all that I can remember is that the foundation of any good romance begins with teasing. <laughs> <laughs> and he put a gif or gif of Gilbert calling Anne carrots, uh, in with that comment.
1: It's so funny because that's like the very first word that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> carrots to her. He just says, <laughs> carrots. <laughs> And then she stands up and smashes the thing over his head. It's, it's amazing. Oh, what a great story.
0: All right. And the last uh, comment that I want to give is a shout out. I have not read any of the books. Have you read the books, Todd? No, I haven't. All right. Well, listen to Kent, our friend Kent from high school. He says, that movie is an excellent book to screen adaptation. The film stayed so true to the books, but I don't think you can fully capture and spirit the way Montgomery intended without reading the books. There are so many and quotes in the books that don't make it into the movies. And he provides a couple. You can go see those uh, on our Facebook page. Uh, But I think from what I've seen of this film that I would enjoy reading those books. (laughs) So I may have to track them
1: down. It's a great. I I just think it's it's beautifully written. Like we said, it's well acted. Um, there are so many unforgettable like moments and lines, uh, and I would just say, great character, great story. If you haven't seen Anne of Green Gables, uh, you've got date night. Your next date night.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, we've both I think been exposed alternately from reader suggestions or the other one saying we got to do this thing to stories that we've never engaged with in any real way before. And this is one of my favorites that I'd never seen before. Um, just thoroughly enjoyed it. Look forward to watching it with my daughter. So highly recommend Anna Green Gables. That wraps up this episode. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in iTunes and please leave us a review. It will really help us out if you do so. Links to things that we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. And you can also find a list of all of our back episodes there. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at protagonistpod at Todd K Mac and at J Dorowski and our producer. Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have all had a lot of good discussion happening there. So please go and like on that page and you'll see every time we post a new episode, you can join in the discussion. If you have anything to add there, If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that, and you know you want to. You really, really want to. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a smaller monetary donation by going to the support link on our homepage or going directly to patreon.com slash protagonist. We love our patrons. They make it possible for us to keep doing this all of our uh, supporters on Patreon receive access to a special quick cast episodes, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films or trailers in less depth than we do for these full episodes. Uh, You can also go to protagonist podcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks exactly like the regular Amazon and it costs you the exact same as the regular Amazon, but we get a little bit of money from Amazon for advertising it here. So please do that. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonists. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long.
1: So long. Uh, Sorry, I feel like I'm going to sneeze.
0: Any final thoughts before I read the outro?
1: Never mind. No sneeze. Um, yeah, will you read the outro? I'm yeah, sorry. No.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there's
1: there's your blooper for the end. <laughs> <Andrew>. <laughs> Look at a bright light, Todd. Uh, it's not coming.
0: <laughs> Am I safe to read the outro? Go for it. Okay.